Hey, Jeff Johnston here. Welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, another great guest today, Grant Denton. Uh, I've spoken with Grant a couple of times. Uh, we attempted a podcast a while back, but had some audio technical problems. I met him in Reno, Nevada on the Living Undeterred U.S. tour. Uh, we, we hit it off great. His story is amazing, like so many other advocates and passionate humans I met on the tour. So Grant, welcome to the show, and I really look forward to um, talking a lot about some different topics today. Right on, brother. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. So, you know, it was about a month or so ago we were in Reno, and um, I got to hear you speak and uh, get to meet you in person, and uh, you're kind of a living legend in that area. Um, <laughs> it, seemed like, it seemed like everyone knew a lot about you. Sometimes I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but uh, in your case, it seemed all good. Well, yeah, I think, uh, and it's interesting that where it's turned is because when I was uh, growing up, I was born and raised in Vegas. And when I was growing up, I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, from junior high up, I was the popular mess up. You know, when I was yeah. in junior high school, I got uh, most popular in the teacher's lounge. So I was a little punk. Then when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was, oh, dude, I was a dick. And then when I was, I'm not uh, sure you've ever, I'm not school, sure you've ever, ever been called a little punk. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it was it was bad, you know. Like, and uh, I was a scared little kid. I was weighed about about a. I was a smaller. I was real wiry and stringy, and we hung out in a it kind of you know was raised up in a, a bad neighborhood, yeah. and uh, and so you had to be kind of tough. And if I'm small, of course I'm scared, but I don't want anybody bullying me. And so like you just you right. got to be the crazy kid, you know, and yeah. uh, and and so I was a I was a popular crazy mess up. Do you know what I mean? My my yeah. senior year. I got biggest troublemaker in the yearbook. I just got out of juvenile hall for a strong armed robbery when I was wow. uh, 17. Oh dude. Like it was, but like when you're a kid in a, in a, in a school, like where you gotta be tough, like that's like merit, you know? Sure. And it was and it's I a badge of teachers, honor to wear among your peer group, you know? Yeah. Something about handcuffs. You're like, look what I can do. Do you know what I mean? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and it like, and, and it was, uh, I remember teachers would tell me, you know, and they were being honest and they weren't saying it to be mean. They're just like, man, you're going to end up dead or in prison. You're going to end up. And they were right. It wasn't like they were trying. And I don't think that they're trying to shoot me down. I think that they were, you know, back then I'm like, yeah, whatever. See how they're treating me, you know. Yeah, but like, yeah. I, I really think now that I, you know, got it, got cleared up, you know, cleared some of the smoke a little bit. Like, I think that, uh, that, yeah, if they were like letting me know that like, dude, that's it. Like, if you don't figure this out, bro, you're going to end up dead or in prison. They were right. You know. Yeah, your your story resonated with me because um, so many people we met on this tour are doing amazing things, like like what you're doing right now in, in your in your uh, in Reno area, um, and what you're doing with your advocacy. But if you peel back the layers and go back to their childhood, or go back to you know college years, or post college, or sometimes jail. There's always something inside that person that triggers this passion, something that that gets them motivated to turn their life around. What was that thing in your life that was your pivot point that you realized that, hey, you know, something bad is going to happen if I stay on the bitter road? I am. Um, it's interesting because I didn't I never really thought that I already thought that, like, I knew that, like, I, I, I got into a place where I had accept, accepted my fate. Do you know, I'm, right. I'm homeless. I'm an addict. I have $150, $200 a day habit and I don't have any source of income. 
I don't have a job. So what do you do? So now you're committing crimes. Now you're out robbing people. Now you're doing these things. And, uh, and then you go from, you know, being homeless, a homeless drug addict, the best way to describe it is to, to be a worm and a God, right? You're living like a worm, but you can get to a place through substance use where you feel like a God, you know, Mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, it's, and it's control, right. Being able using is control. It's, it's, um, it's consistent. Every time I use, I get high. Every time I drink, I get drunk and I can control that, you know? And so it's, uh, I had accepted my fate. And so I remember like, I just, I was going to, I knew I was going to die. You know, I just didn't want to. And I was, I remember wishing that something would happen. Like some, uh, a kid would stumble into the street and I would have an opportunity to at least die saving someone's life or doing mm-hmm. something admirable or, somebody was robbing an old lady and I can jump in front of the bullet and take it for her. You know, like you would dream of these, I would dream of these situations where I wouldn't just die a worm. Do you know what I mean? Gotcha. Absolutely. Cause some redemption almost in a way. Yeah. And then, then I got locked up and when I got locked up, I, I, you know, started to read and I was reading a bunch of things, but one of them was, uh, you know, I started reading, reading about mindfulness and frequency and, and universal law and whatever you put out, right, is what's going to come back. And it's right. And it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care who you are, right? right. It, it, whatever you, just like addiction. That's the thing about addiction. Addiction doesn't discriminate. I don't care how much money you have, right. what privilege you come from, what color you are, it'll get you. Do you know? Yeah. And that's oh, yeah, a beautiful absolutely. thing about, and that's why, and it, it sounds weird to say, but that's a beautiful thing about addiction is that it doesn't care, you know? And it's, and it's in all and of it's us. Honest. It's, it's, it's it's inside all of us. I was listening to um, a podcast with Dr. Gabor Mate, and yeah. he's convinced that all he's convinced all addiction comes from childhood trauma. But he was talking about this idea that we have that addiction is this creature out there in the corner of the room, and if you're not careful, careful, it's going to latch itself on your back like it's a separate entity. And he said, in reality, addiction is part of us. It's a process. It makes us human. I mean. There has never been a human that's not had addiction in some capacity, whether it's social media, gambling, sex, drugs, alcohol, um, negative TV news, you know, whatever it is. And he says, if we can learn to incorporate some of these things like depression, suicidal ideation, addiction as not separate entities that we're trying to remove from ourselves, but understand that they're part of our process, they're part of our are confusion with dependency and autonomy. I mean, you said you were in control when you you were you knew you weren't, but you said you were, and that's the yeah. illusion. That's the illusion of a dependent uh, person who thinks they're autonomous. They think they're yeah. they think they can make their own decisions and their own free will, but they're completely held prisoner to drugs and alcohol, whatever they're doing. But I just thought it was interesting on that separation of of of, and I'm trying to work on this myself whenever I go through grief. I kind of think of grief instead of, I used to say, well, I want to repress it. I'm going to push it away. I'm just saying grief is who I am. It's part of me. I'm not going to fight it anymore. I mean, do you, do you look at things like that? Yeah. So I, and this is the reading. I had a, I had a unique opportunity because I read uh, uh, the realm of hungry ghosts in the realm oh, of hungry great. ghosts. That's Gabor. It's a brilliant yeah. book. And, and, and so I agree with him um, 100%. And I also like, I remember when I was, when I was reading in there and about the, you know, about universal law and things. And I remember every night I would cry and I, mm-hmm. and I eventually, and I would actually look forward to it because I knew yeah, yeah. that I, I came to terms that I knew I earned every tear. 
and it mm-hmm. opened opened it up so that like to where you know we got this idea that we're we're not supposed to grieve and like life is suffering especially life men is, right especially us men yeah, oh oh dude oh that's it's substantially it. harder on us men in, in regard yeah. in regards to showing our feelings oh yeah and it's and and you know you know you, there's two things you can't do at the same time you can't protect yourself and grow because when you when you you know when you protect yourself you're you're guarded and you're watching you know from people coming at you but when you grow you're you're exposing your underbelly right and it's a dangerous scary thing um but it's actually it's absolutely necessary you know right, they right. um but i i i do um believe that there's, you know, with, with grieving, I came to terms of it's a, it's a part of it, right? If, if it's, you know, people avoid grieving and I, I understand now what's helped me grow is that you have to move towards these. Yeah, absolutely, just, man. Know. Absolutely. I, I think, and I don't work out as much as obviously you do, but, and when I do, it's in my basement, so I don't go to the gym, but I'll say this metaphorically, but you know, if we could look at I ask when I talk to people and, and this is a great way to present this is I ask people, when's the last time you ever cried? And when you were done crying, you felt worse. Or when's the last time you ever worked out and walked out of the gym and felt worse? It's like, so why can't we approach grief and trauma as we do working out as we do, um, you know, crying and, and lean into it? You, you don't have to like, you know, want it to happen. But I think this society's instruction book says to push it back, to fight against it, to, to cut it off. And like, it's a cancer and set it in the corner. I'm like, you know, if that was a successful strategy, we would see quality of mental health in this country improving. But the reality is all the stuff we've been doing bits and pieces of it may work in isolated incidences, but the reality is most of it's not working. So I like what you said about leaning into it. Uh, I equate it as a mental health workout. When I feel, when I feel the grief, which happened twice today already, it's uh, about yeah. one o'clock. It's one o'clock here in Iowa, um, where something about my son or my wife uh, just hit me really hard. Where I just like, you know, just stopped. And the old Jeff would probably try to fight it off, like you know, go into meditation mode or something. I'm like, no, nope, now I'm just gonna go on, do its thing, grief, come in there, make me cry. But you know, when you leave and I get on the podcast with Grant, I'm going to feel better. I'm good. A hundred percent of the time, you know? Yeah. And you got, you got to trust it. It's here for a reason. I, if, if, Mm. if I didn't think it, it was, it was supposed to hold space somewhere, then it would be different. But I understand, I understand it now. I read something once about uh, rituals and how different, uh, different tribes or whatever and different uh, cultures have rituals and there's this uh uh this tribe called the baning tribe in in the new guinea uh forest mm-hmm. and what they do uh their word for depression is a wambuk and they when someone gets the symptoms of depression uh it which is you know they're kind of sleepy they're not doing well they're crying all the time they're grieving um they would put them in this a wambuk hut and they would put them there for three days. In the first th- two days, you're instructed to just cry it out, man. Just ju- if you got to yell, if you got to scream, it's a little bit away from the tribe, you know, from the rest of the huts. But right. it's, you know, so you, you cry it out and you have a good cry and you process it and you're angry at the world. And you're angry at the system. You do whatever you got to do to process it. But on the third day, they take uh, the, a, the sacred bowl and they put water in it. And then you're instructed to di- direct all of your 
fear and all your sorrow and all your sadness and all that energy into this water. And at the end of that day, you mm. throw the water out and it symbolizes you moving on. And mm. then you return back to the tribe. And they say like that, you know, you're not going to not feel it again, but you've went into this ritual and they have a ritual for it so that people don't, you know, you'll ask somebody right now and be like, dude, what's wrong, man? Why are you so depressed? Well, my wife left me 12 years ago, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I, you know, right. I didn't get the job five years ago and, right. and they've, they've created this, you know, that's like that Joe Dispenza stuff. You just hold on to things and it becomes yeah. who you are and right. they've created a, a ritual. And I think about that all the time. I like when something happens where I'm like, where it's a setback or I'm disappointed or I thought I could do better and I didn't, and I didn't perform well or something, anything. I, um, I know it's important to process that. And I actually like, like from this time to this time, I'm, I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I love that. I absolutely love that, Grant, because in my meditation this session, I use uh, Sam Harris's Waking Up app. I'm a big, big fan of Sam Harris, read all of his books. Um, and one part during the guided meditation, uh, he was talking about the, I guess the theme of the meditation uh, was impermanence. This idea that, you know, nothing lasts forever, that our conversation today has has a death date. I mean, at the end of the podcast, where you and I are going to be done talking today, um, you know, just before I came on, I was having something to eat. That lunch ended, and it's like, and if we think of the best of times, you know, my wedding, the birth of children, uh, vacations, those all end. Uh, but the worst of times, the death of my child, death of my wife, um, a gambling addiction, my alcoholism, you know, those those ended too. It's like. And if the idea of impermanence can be somehow correlated into your day-to-day -day living. So in other words, this is how it helps me. So if I have a negative thought or I have a, a guilt-driven thought or I have any thought that's not productive, I know that that thought will die. I don't know where the thought came from. I don't really know where they go, but I know for certain they don't last forever. And that goes mm -hmm. with the good thoughts too. So if I... If I, um, you know, uh, get a really good email from somebody who says, Hey, Jeff, you know, I, I, I want to have you on the biggest podcast in, in the world. It's like, wow, I'm really excited, but I know someday when I'm on that podcast and it's over, it's going to be over. And yeah. same way with the tour. When I went around the country, the first day we got in the RV, I just sat there thinking this is going to be over. You know, it's going to be 95 days of a lot of work, but, it, and now here I am talking to you and it's over. Yeah. But if we can yep. get our negative, our bad thoughts to understand that they die just as, as much as our good events, our good thoughts happen, I think like you just said, keeps us in the moment. It keeps us balanced. Would you, would you, yeah. I mean, I think you agree with all that. I, I do agree that. And I, and I know that things, I mean, we, if you, I, one of the things, you know, you know, nothing static, no emotion is static. Right. If you hold on to that when you when you when you get angry or whatever. I know no emotion is static, but I also know that like happy isn't static either. So I think it's exactly. a, and I tell people yeah. that I work, you know, that are come into the classes that I teach or the you know, so I, you know, we do some classes for folks that are in recovery. But when they come in, you know, and you ask folks, you're like, what do you want? What kind of life do you want? I'm like, I want a happy life. Oh yeah, uh -huh. what is that? <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> what is um, that? <laughs> so, yeah, and what if you're not happy? Does it mean that you're failing? Like, because you don't have to be right. happy. It's great and it's right. it's cool, but like, we, you need to have a meaningful life. You need to like have something to drive towards. Like that's right. that's the gig. And what I so about like 
so about like being sad and, and that, like, if you understand, and I, I fully, I 100% know that it is a part of your life and it's also a part of growth. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the idea is if you can wrap your head around this, right. Like um, anybody, right. The, the idea is that you're already a whole person. You're a whole person. Now you can stay this same person all the time and never really change and be the same person. But that's also depressing in and of itself. It right? is. Joe you're, dying. Said, you're dying if you're not growing. Ah, he says that the average um, human has 60,000 thoughts a day. And 90% of those thoughts are from the previous day. Huh. Are the same <laughs> thoughts from the previous day because we're going through the same motions. Yep. And if you're not learning and you're not growing, then you're living 90% in the past. Yeah, that's it's so true. depressing. It's a depressing so gig. And and in order to reinvent yourself, let's just say, and I, and I remember like when I went through a, a breakup, you know, breakups are good ways to tell like where you're at. You know, are you, how can you, you know, I'm not saying that it's a healthy gig, but any kind of yeah. break where, where you had a relationship and then, and then, and then they're, they're gone. And what that means is like, you know, you've, you've actually, you're, you lost a portion of you. You ever went through a breakup and it was a toxic breakup and you still miss the person? It's yeah. not that you miss the person. It's, it's that there's, you're mourning the death of the old you, you know? And no, so part of yeah. growing is right. mourning, right? right? Because you're having to sacrifice a piece of you in order to be able to put a new you in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you're sacrificing, you're mourning. And so right. like the idea is that like growth, growing mm -hmm. as a person means you're going to be mourning a little bit. It's part of the gig. You have mm -hmm. to, you know? You're morning that's a great, you great perspective. You're more, you know? Yeah, that's a really good perspective. Um, my dad used to tell us, if you're green, you grow, you're ripe, you rot. And yeah. you know, the people that follow me know I say that all the time. Because when I was in the sales business for 32 years selling investments, you know, that's kind of what financial planners do. Um, we talked about the growth being in the growth zone. You know, you want to spend most of your day in, in the growth zone. So I had that image in my mind. If you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot. So even now that I'm retired from that business and I'm in the mental health space, I'm constantly growing. I mean, I, I, if you would have asked me five years ago, Jeff, Hey Jeff, you're going to be in your basement running a podcast all by yourself. You're going to be going around the United States. Mostly, you know, you're running everything in the RV with, you know, a couple other people, but you know, you're going to learn how to do an interview with, with a camera and, and microphones and all that. I would have said, you are insane that I, I have no desire to learn. Now I'm so much more self-sufficient because I was kind of forced to grow because I committed to do a podcast. I committed to do the tour. And one thing yep. I have found, one thing I found that's been beneficial for me, Grant, and get your thoughts on this is sometimes, and I know you have attention deficit. Matter of fact, I, I, I will tell you right now, I don't meet many too many people that have it more than me, but I would say you have it more than me. And God bless you, man. Cause I wish I had more of it. It's a, it's a best drug ever in my blood I've ever had, but and now I completely forgot what I was saying, but, um, I have found that if, if I, if I have something that I really want to do, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal, like Jim Collins wrote in good to great. If I just commit to it, and then figure out how the hell I'm going to do it. It forces me to grow. It forces me oh, to grow. I do that every time. Right. I recommend that people do it. Like me too. When I um, you know, first you you start your you, I mean, in recovery. There's a recovery portion where you get back to being 
we're you know relatively normal compared to the rest of the world and then and then when you get to to grow like i like right when i moved out here i signed myself up for a bodybuilding competition never did it before but bought the tickets and it was four months out and they're like dude you better hurry you know and i like that <laughs> yep. i like that fear that challenge that the rush push. the rush I, yeah and then i and then i challenged a guy to a fight in uh in, i never boxed before but i challenged uh he's a friend of mine he's used to, you know was a mentor and he runs a nonprofit in vegas and he's a competitive boxer and so i was like hey man you want to box me dude for money and you know i'm, I'm a we're, we're we're about the same size but he's a you know he's he's, he's a, a, a boxer, boxing yeah. dude and so i challenged him and uh and people were like dude that's a bad idea you don't like fight a boxer you know like, you know, you should probably start botting. So we, but I set the fight and I trained, like, I'm going to get my, my, my ass kicked. I'm going to, tr I train like he's going to beat me down, you know, and, 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 and that just knowing that, that my mom's going to be there and nobody's whooping me in front of my mom, you know, <laughs> right, and that right. like, and that it's coming is it will push me to train harder. And that's all. I've, and I wouldn't do anything that, a that like, I don't stay out late. I don't do anything that the, right. that the quantum grant wouldn't do. And a year, you know, when, when I set the yeah. goal that I'm going to get in the ring and I'm going to beat this guy, I'm not like, I don't do anything that the winner grant wouldn't do. I'll stay out late. I don't hang out with people. I right. shouldn't be hanging gotcha. out alone. You know? So what happened? I, I won. Did you really? Not because, not because I'm a good boxer. I, I, I actually, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still boxing. I got another fight in October in Jersey. Really? Good for oh, you. Oh, yeah. Man. No, I'm set. Like, I want to, like, because I watched the video of me and I won not because I'm a good boxer because he outboxed me but i won because i'm tough you know right I yeah just, you gotta you gotta I, have that yep and my mom's in the front row you're not knocking me out in front of my mom not I gonna happen it, man i love it that's <laughs> awesome so you're you're going to new jersey and fight well when is this yeah it's uh, in october so next month is I it got streamed or live streamed or on tv or anything or i don't know it's a it's it's usa box we're going to be videotaping it for sure i'd like we're, to see uh, it. yeah the guy i'm going with the trainer out he's a great dude and, uh, and, you know, we're both masters and, and, uh, and so, and my son's boxing now too, and he's got a fight in Sacramento the week before me. Well, let and, me ask you this question. It got me thinking about, you know, obviously you have a, a, a workout type physique and you look like you've really respected your body, even though you punished your body for many, many years. Um, where has working out been in your therapy and, and, and for you, is it, is it like for some people meditate or read a book and maybe you do that as well, but I mean, obviously working out's a big part of your life. I mean, do, do you, can, do you really think that's had a lot to do with where you're at today? Absolutely. 100%. Like I'm starting a program right now where I'm taking people to the gym. I pick them up Great. from treatment centers and it's called grit, grow, reform, integrate, thrive. Pick them up it, from the gym. Yeah, no, I take and I pick them up from the treatment centers. I take them to the gym. I train them. And then after we train, then we do a wellness class. Um, uh, geared around goals and uh, and framing and your own life and and then we do volunteering and just all kinds of but the gym is was paramount for me number one when I got locked up I um you know your hair your head clears a little bit and I I um man I, I thought I was stupid you know like what who's thirty well, I was thirty four when I got locked up but like who's thirty four years old has two kids they haven't fathered and doesn't have any plan for life. Like I gotta be stupid. And I was right to a certain degree. I was stupid. And so like, I remember right when I got there, I, I just started working out. Like if I'm going to be dumb, I'm going to be the best looking dumb dude out there. <laughs> so, dude, I just started 
training and training. I love that attitude. I love that that's attitude. Like, I, well, so what, and I think that that's what folks at the very beginning, you need to like, what do you know that you can do? What can you do? And I'm like, well, I can do a push up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I and, uh, yeah that's awesome, man. Yeah, I love so that I just mindset. Started, yeah, I started just training and training. And then I started reading and reading. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can reinvent myself. And this is what I was going to talk about earlier is I started training and reading. And then you learned that it, I read this book called Spark that talks about BDNF, brain-derived neuropathic factor. And it's, you know, it's about um, neuroplasticity. Yeah. You know, how you can grow yep. a new brain. You can't. You don't even yeah. eat your, like, you know, when I was a kid, they had this commercial and they fry an egg and they're like, this is your brain. Right. This is your brain on drugs. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's bad. And then I do a lot of drugs. And I'm like, fuck, I'm, I might be in trouble. I might be in trouble because I might have fried my brain. And so I thought that, like, number one, I'm stupid. And number one, I got I fried my brain. I might not be able to get it back. And, and then I learned that you can get it back. You can grow yeah. a new brain. You can become a new person. And, and it's the two things that produce this protein that, you know, that help you grow your new brain or exercise and learning. And so I was like, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to exercise just- and learn. I just want to say this is so perfect for what I talk about in my presentations when my uh, PowerPoint slide says uh, hope and fear because the frying the egg in the pan, that's a fear driven method to change behavior. So we have an adolescent, we have an adolescent that we don't want them to do drugs for many, many reasons, nor do they want to do drugs either, but they don't know it yet because they're too young. So we show them the scary picture of this, you know, egg frying and, and the metaphor is at your brain. Well, how well did that do? Well, it didn't, it didn't do well at all. And matter of fact, it's, it, it's, it, all these scare tactics that we do with, with majority of humans, not just adolescents aren't changing behavior out of fear because it's not genuine. It's not authentic. No. So, but, but if you can inspire, if, you, if, if Grant can say you can grow a new brain, you know, I, you can inspire. So somebody who really doesn't understand that some kid can say, all right. I, I believe you grant, I can grow a new brain. Here's how you do it. Exercise, read, you know, do stay away from toxicity, all that. That's inspiration. That's authentic. Now I feel like each day I'm mm-hmm. working on growing my brain. And I think, uh, it's been proven time in and time out, even in, in my old money management career and in most, uh, even sports that, you know, changing behavior, the Bobby Knight way, you know, scaring people, uh, isn't productive. It's not, it, it may win you a championship here and there, but it's not going to win. It's not going to win uh, young adolescents to be better men and women, you know, not at all. They, the answer to that back then was just say no. Yeah. Just that say was in no. the eighties. Yep. They came out. Like, oh, that is that all? Just say no. That's yeah. it. And then, yeah. you know, and you, you end up going to <laughs> high school, you're in high school with these guys and you're doing, I remember one, one time I had a, uh, one of the first times I ever did math, was this with this guy named Robert and Robert was a dick. I couldn't stand him, but Robert had drugs and we like, Hey, we experimented and we did meth. And then years later, 12, 15 years later, I got it. I'm getting off a bus. I'm homeless. I'm dope sick. I'm addicted to heroin and meth. I'm looking, you know, we have to pick up half cigarettes off the ground and smoke them. Sure, and I yeah. found a half cigarette, you know, and I lit it up and I smoked it. And when I looked up, there's a billboard with Robert on it and he's selling commercial real estate. And I'm like, how is Holy it cow. that this dude smokes meth with me? You know what I mean? I'll be the first guy I ever, you know, did meth with. He's on a billboard and I'm picking up cigarette butts. And, and, and it reminded me that like my idea was that 
All I had to do was just say no, you know? Mm, And then you look at these folks that were able to say no. Clearly, Robert was able to say no. What's wrong with me? Do you know what I mean? Right. How come I couldn't say no? And it was, and if it's not about just saying no, it's about understanding what these things are doing to us and understanding, you know, that like that, uh, that we're solving problems that with this substance that we, you know, at first it's partying, then it turns into something else. Do you know what I mean? And And that's that whole confusion of uh, autonomy with dependency and vice versa is that kids think that they're under control. So you have, and there's a a gentleman that I'm putting some work together with uh, that I'd be happy to share with you sometime down the road uh, where it's focused on prehab instead of rehab. In other words, there are ways that we can identify in adolescence. Uh, there's four stages, actually, zero, one, two, three, four. It's fairly predictable. There's, it's evidence-based at Kennesaw State University, 5,000 college students, where they decreased uh, alcohol usage almost 80% um, by, by being able to. And this and what's a nice thing about it, Grant, and which is I'm really excited to share to uh, our, our followers, is this is driven by the adolescent. This isn't something that I come in lecture, like a scared straight type talk, or this is something that, you know, social proof is a, is a real thing. And when, when you see somebody in your peer group doing something that you aspire to, to do, you're more likely to change your behavior coming from an equal. But if it comes from grant to your child or from me to my kids or from a police officer or teacher, or therapist, it may work temporarily, but long-term behavioral change doesn't Mm -hmm. work temporarily. It takes many, many days. And I think, I can't remember the number, it's 20 or 30 something days in a row. You have to do something before it becomes a habit. Um, And, you know, going back to kids again, if we really want to start really moving the needle with all these issues, we've got to get kids, that 14 year old Grant, the 15 year old Jeff that started drinking, to understand and identify the inability for them to see the risk response patterns. In other words, the clear road that they're on to get them to understand where they're at, what stage that they're at. And then they then, then themselves can self-correct, you know? Yeah. And, and you know it as a, as a parent. And so do I, that if whatever I tell my kids, even if it's the most passionate, best halftime speech, if they're not willing to have some control in the decision-making, they ain't going to do it. Yeah. They ain't going to do it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I like the, I, um, I like the idea of, uh, like the group, right? The group who it's, it's, it's who the group can determine like what's cool and what ain't cool. Right. In this social bubble. And it's not, you know, they did, it, uh, oh, what's his name? Robert Sapolsky. Yeah. Okay. He's, uh, He's from Stanford. He's a he's a primatologist and a behaviorist. Behavioralist. You heard of him? I have heard of him. Yeah. He did, he did this thing with and it's and this I love it. I I think I you, you you know keep this in my mind when I'm working in uh you know at the shelter or the safe camp or whatever and we're working on the streets about like um about how you can actually change behavior but it's up to us right we can change like the type who we are but it, it, as as a group it's up to us and it's what we will allow and won't allow and he did this study where they where they're watching these two different uh they're on the savannah of uh, africa the african savannah and they're watching these two different groups of baboons and 
Um, and baboons up to that point, the guy even wrote the baboons are just the jerks of the jungle. They're just, they're, you know, they're, they're dying because of murder. They're building alliances against each other. They don't groom each other. They, they're just like the, the worst, you know, behaved and they're just so mean to each other. And the alpha males are eating other babies and they don't care for each other. You know, if you're, if your mom doesn't just the worst. And, um, and, and somebody had wrote that that's just the nature of the baboon. That's just how the baboon is. They're just. You know, they're just dicks, man. That's it. And, uh, and so, so one of the, one of the groups had a, um, a a resort move next to it. And when the resort moved next to it, um, they dug a hole where they put the trash, you know, about, you know, Mm -hmm. about a quarter or so mile off. And this group of baboons found out about this trash hole and would go there instead of hunting, you know, for their food and just eat out of this trash pit. Why not? The whole group. Sure. Yeah. And then the alpha males, from this group over here, which is a few miles off this way, they found out about this. And so they would go, and it's just the alpha males because they would have to fight their way into the trash pit. Right. And um, turns out these baboons that were eaten out of this pit started to die. They're starting to die off. They're getting skinny and they're dying. And they say it's because, uh, well, it was because they got tuberculosis. One of the, the cows that they would get, they would get the whole cows at the resort and they would bribe the the, the health inspector, because the cows oh. did have tuberculosis, if they could just cut the, you know, cut the lung out. And right. so they would cut the lung out, throw it out. And then these guys are eating these, this oh, tuberculous man. lungs. And so all of the baboons from this group die and all of the alpha males from that group die. And what does it leave? It leaves just the females and the, and the, and the beta males. And they started to be kind to each other. They start grooming each other. They start uh, helping out with each other's kids. They're not murdering each other. And the guys, when they were there, they're like, well, we'll come back. And you just, you know, they're like, wow, this is crazy. These guys are actually nice. They're turning kind. Mm-hmm. The women kind of took charge, right. dug their heels in. And and so they're like, man, this group is really being nice. This is unheard of in these baboons. And they're like, well, you give it some time. They'll they'll turn back to the old the old group once, uh, once some other alpha males start coming in. And they came back like 10 years later in this group of uh, baboons was still grooming each other. They were still being kind to each other. And what would happen, what they were paying attention is that alpha males that were aggressive, the females would stand up to them. They'd be like, hey, not in this tree you don't, pal. You know, and they'd tell them, like, they'd make them leave. You can come back. But when you're here, you don't behave like that. You know, and so it changed this whole idea on how baboons were because they stood up and says, when we're in this, you know, if you're in this group, this is how we roll. You know what I mean? This is what's cool and what ain't cool. And I think it's brilliant. Well, yeah. You wonder how much of that is applicable to, you know, humans, uh, probably a lot of it. Um, once you remove the toxicity in any environment, um, it, it allows for the support of the positive things, you know, uh, and especially in a, in a community, you know, like, like a tribe, yeah. you know, you, you get, um, you get kicked out of the, the tribe for a reason is you're not fitting in, you know? Um, and, uh, that's an interesting story. I have not heard that one before, but I'm sure there's lots of similar, uh, stories out there that people could, could, um, use and make the same point, you know, that, that we need to really stand up against the bullies, stand up against the, the people that aren't supporting us. Uh, and there's a, again, if you try to, spill that over to addiction and substance abuse. I'm sure there's a lot of parallels there. Well, what I was, uh, what I use that as is like in a lot of camps, the reason camps get, you know, they have such a stigma, homeless camp that has such right. a stigma. And the reason that homeless folks are, are, you know, shot is because of how, you know, 
10% of the population make 90% of the noise. So, you know, not all homeless are cutting your gates and stealing your catalytic right. converter, but you know, some are, and like, it's, it's important that you, you like, and this is what I tell the folks that I work with on the streets. I'm like, guys, like you have an opportunity to set the tone for what's going on. They're like, yeah, people don't like the homeless. No, they just don't like a portion of the, of the homeless. You just, yeah. be, you just happen to be wearing the same uniform. And those you homeless know? people don't like that portion either. No, they don't, but they're, but right. you know, and, 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 and that's it. And I, and the reason I use that is cause is, uh, that's why I like that one is in the, in the homeless and addicted population, like they have, and I, I'm trying to, I use it as an example of empower. I'm like, you guys yeah, yeah. have an opportunity yep. now to like, to prove, you know, in, in, in the act of setting a standard for what's cool and what ain't cool. You're also preparing yourself to move to the next social bubble. You know what I mean? Like yep, I it's do. not, it can't be a free for all. We can't treat each other like this and you're not allowed to steal here. Do you know what I mean? And not that you're ever allowed to steal, but like it comes right. into this thing. I'm just, yeah, I might be. Well, let's go into some of your, through. let's talk about some of your actual projects that you're doing in your community uh, to give back and some of the things that you're most passionate about. Um, man, we, there's, I, I'm, I'm, Right now we're doing, we, of course, we have the outreach squad that go, you know, we, 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 we go out and we work with folks that are actually living on the streets. And, um, you say, we, are, how uh, many, is that like a, your nonprofit or how many people are there involved? Or? I have 14 employees and, um, four of them are, are, um, are on the outreach team. And then the, the rest are, uh, you know, of course my assistant and then, uh, and are the safe camp, uh, squad. And then, and this is I in just, your nonprofit, right? Yep. There's the Karma Box Project. Okay, we, the Karma do, Box Project. Okay. Yeah. So we do outreach in the streets. We also have a workforce program called the River Stewards, where we, we grab um, folks that are living on the streets and we have them come help us clean up the river. And we'll give them gift cards at, at the end of a four-hour day. And then um, and then we have a safe camp that uh, where we grab folks that are living on the river. And the only requirement to get in the camp is that you agree to work on a housing plan. Um, and that looks different for everybody, right? And there's no time limit. You just have to be working. You have to yeah. be moving towards something. And we have case managers and we're really, I don't want to say aggressive, but we're really assertive. Like, you know, what, where are you at with your plan? Where are you going? What, you know, what's, what's the gig? You know what I'm saying? We're, 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 we're constantly moving for, you know, in that direction. We have a 46% successful discharge um, rate, which is really good when it what's, comes to uh, what's the community, uh, been, have they been real supportive of this? Oh yeah. We, we have, a, we also like the businesses around there. We have a very good relationship with the businesses around there. Um, we, because most communities would be like, no, don't bring the homeless around here. That is sure. You know, that is, it's, it is, it's, it makes sense. Right. But if you have a support from us, like on my street, I, I hire two people in our company uh, that live in the camp. I hire one to be a cultural development peer and that's who keeps the, um, our camp clean. And they kind of set the tone for what's cool and what ain't cool in our camp. That's where I, I use the baboon thing. I'm like, we, we got to, what's cool. And what ain't cool here. We all got to agree on it. And then yeah. we have a street concierge that I hire to go out in front of the businesses and clean up any trash that's left over and, um, and keep our street and adjacent streets clean so that we don't get, we kind of minimize damage from people being like, see what the homeless do. And sometimes we do, we make a big mess sometimes, you yeah. know, and, um, and you gotta, you gotta, it's a concentrated, you know, 
spot with a lot you of know, folks there. So. One of the most impactful moments of my tour was in Delaware and um or was it yeah it was delaware and the uh we did a, a place at a uh, a stop at a place called brandywine uh community uh, i don't remember the full name but anyway it was a place for people who were down on their luck addicts alcoholics that could come in uh, get services get support and as i was getting ready to speak um i was about maybe half an hour away from my talk and the lieutenant governor um uh, Bethany Hall, Dr. Bethany Hall, she was there to support, obviously she's running for office again. And, and, uh, but, and there was another lady there named Dr. Sandra Gibney, who goes by Dr. G and she is amazing. One of the most amazing, she's probably in her seventies and she's more high strung than, than you and me combined. Um, <laughs> just a little frail, just full of energy. I say frail, not, not a bad frail, just thin, skinny, looked like she was in shape, you know, just, but she was just a go-getter. And, uh, so I'm sitting there and she goes, when do you talk? And I go, uh, about half an hour. She goes, well, I got something, I got to take you real quick. So I go, okay, where are we going? She goes, well, get in the car. So I'm going with Dr. Dr. Gibney and, um, and the mobile harm reduction, uh, RV there that hands, does the uh, AIDS testing and HIV testing and, um, the safe syringe exchange. She donated it says, you know, Dr. G right on the back of it, you know? And so yeah. I get in the I get in the SUV with Lieutenant Governor and Dr. G and a couple other people and my son Ian and we drive out about half a mile from where this facility is and we get out and she goes I'm going to take you into Tent City. And I'm like, "Okay. What's Tent City?" She says that's a community out here in the woods about 200 yards out here in the woods of homeless people. Mm -hmm. And I've never ever been in an area like this in my life. I mean, I, I I'm not going to be dishonest, but I try to avoid places like that when I'm out on my day to day, you know, yeah. um, e even as an advocate, I just don't want to go anywhere by myself like that. And they're grabbing their bags their duffel bags, Narcan kits, fentanyl test strips, water bottles, you know, just, uh, whatever they can, they grab like a hundred bags and we go off into the woods, you know, single file. Now this is the Lieutenant governor with no security, you know, no, no guards there, no sheriffs, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And a doctor who is, doesn't have to be doing this. I'm sure she's got plenty of money. And uh, it was amazing. We come around the corner and there's like 50 tents and little fires going, just a little community. I mean, literally just a stone's throw from where we were. There was a whole tribe of people living there. Yeah. And, and we came in, made our announcement. Hey, we're here. Hey, we're here. Just to let you know we're not the police or anything. And and uh, everyone embraced us. Everyone came out of their huts. Um, most of them looked just, all I could think about is my son and my wife. Um, a lot of them looked like what they looked like before they died. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, young women, 18, 19, 16 years old there, you know, ran away yeah. from what they ran away from. Couldn't have been any worse from where they are now. I have to think, um, unless they were, you know, something really horrendous was going, but and just the looks in their eyes and their faces. And I will never be the same. That really touched me. And to hand those Narcan bags and have them say thank you. And I really saw a different light on humanity. And it made me almost want to go into homeless shelters like that in the future and just say, can I help? Do you need any help? It, it really touched me. It really, it made me a better person. Yeah. 
I am. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be curious to know what they're planning. I, I, have you seen my TED talk yet? I've not, man. I feel terrible. I, first gonna, time I met gonna, you, I told you I was going to watch it. I'm going to. I will send do it. it. I will. No, you don't need to. I will. Okay, send it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll email it um, to you, um, and it's about help and how sometimes helping hurts. Now, like it just depends. Like, you, we have to have a plan when we help people. You have to have a plan, and we have groups that come out and serve food, but did we even ask if the group was hungry? You know, yeah. and I think if you come out and serve food every day of the week, you might even be causing a problem because now it gives them a disincentive. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I get then, what you're saying about yeah. the objective, but um, I think as a as a kind of a harm reduction uh, newbie, you know, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not really I'm not into this space heavy. I've only been doing this for like three years for living on third. Yeah. I'm really open-minded to all alternatives, but I go back to my son who died from heroin. Yeah. Had he had the ability to test that heroin that day. Oh yeah. But may, he may have still done it. He may have still said, I want the heroin so bad. I don't care. If there's fentanyl in it. Um, you know, but the fact is if he could have lived one more day, maybe that one day, the next day, tomorrow would have been the day he would have became sober and quit. We yeah. never know. And I'm not, I'm not pooing them going out and uh, right. giving fentanyl test strips with them. I'm not shooting that down at all. We have Narcan. My guys yeah. carry, oh, we call them oh shit kits. We just, we have like yeah. kits that have. But you got to have uh, a goal. Uh, I understand that. Yeah. Narcan in them. I, uh, I, I, I feel like it gets dangerous, but that's not the point of what we're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. I, um, um, but I, but yeah, being having Narcan out there for him and that because you know, people don't recover if they're not alive. You know, that's what I mean. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't, you can't save someone dead. So, I, I can see that argument with harm reduction. But then you see the people that are adamant against it will be posting pictures of San Francisco and Portland, Oregon, and Seattle. And you know, for every one of those, a harm reductionist could show a story of a community that's actually decreased all the numbers. And that's the problem with this political. Yeah, you, I'm a bantering. radical middle. I'm a radical middle. I, I'm homeless. I, I'm politically homeless. That's what I call myself. <laughs> I, I'm politically homeless. I, I don't know where I lean because I have, I have, I agree on so many things on both sides of the fence. So I think you're, you're, you're where I'm at. I think that it's because I, you know, if you, when you, when you get into it, you realize that the pendulum swings, you know, you get too far into yeah. a radical right where it's a right. pick your bootstrap self up by your bootstraps. And yep. then in order to correct that, we overcorrect and we get too far into a, you know, complete autonomy thing, which, you know, organically, oh, they'll, they'll manage it, you know, yep. Yep. where it's a hand, you know, or it's a give every, it's, it's, I'm or just, we criminalize I'm everything, every drug, we make it against the law and we increase uh, uh, jail times not, for people selling. Yeah. It's like, there's got to the be drugs a balance. The the drugs aren't the problem. It's us. I agree. hundred <laughs> percent. Without me, there'd be no addiction. You know, there's almost no evidence other than maybe prohibition that basically shows how ridiculous the war on drugs has been. It's been a colossal oh, yeah. failure. It's been a loss of lives. It's, it's discriminating towards African-Americans. Um, mm -hmm. It's discriminating towards the uh, lesser economically uh, uh, benefited um, it's, um, it's just a horrendous way to change behavior, to take someone who's struggling with something that's, that's not a moral failing 
you know, it, it's something that their, their body is fighting them with the, with, with, um, having to have these things and to throw them in jail without any treatment, without any help. And then when they get out, expect them to just contribute back to society when we haven't even, yeah. even explained to them what's probably going to happen when you get out, you'll go right back to what you, there's just uh, this, and you should know you were, you were incarcerated. So was my son, yeah. Seth. Um, and he died within 60 days of getting out of jail. So there's obviously some failing there on a bridge to, to help people. I was a product. I was fortunate enough to be a product of specialty courts and uh, a drug court. Of when, right. So like, and I, at first I didn't have any drug charges. I just had drug related crimes, right? Gotcha. So I had burglaries, gotcha. I had robberies, I had things like, the, I had, you know, domestic violences, violent charges, but like about all these things I never, but I never got a dope charge. And mm. so I never went to drug court. I would just, and plus I would lie when I'm in court, they'd be like, Grant, you know, you have this. And I'm like, your honor. And, and I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't smoke, you know, and I would say that so that I thought that it made me look better. Right. Um, but being a sober guy that does all that crazy stuff actually makes you look worse, you know? Mm. And so I, um, I remember when I, I told, I eventually told them like, I have a problem and that's it. And I thought I was going to prison no matter what. So I really didn't even care. I was, right. and I, then I, I told them and they, uh, they, they gave me an opportunity to go to, to a rehab and I learned it took, it took about a year and a half for me, like, you know, with a clear head and reading and learning and exercising, being away from the streets, I had to be locked up, but I had to also be in a program afterwards that held me accountable right. that when I was late to group, they gave me 48 hours in jail. When I was late um, to, to a counseling, you know, if I, if I peed dirty, they gave me th like, I needed that everybody, there's different avenues mm -hmm. for different things. It's not about the drug. It's about how I behave. And so they need to address my behavior. Do you know, Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a big, I'm a, I advocate for, for drug courts for specific certain folks, Do you know, yeah. there's I, I've um, heard so the, many success stories. Oh, and then you got, and then you have like, there's mental health court where folks like, man, we just, we got, I have, I work with folks right now that are paranoid schizophrenic and that are also using meth and that are so sick. They need help. They're, they'll, they'll never remedy this themselves. They'll never live in an apartment by themselves. Right. And it's folks, you know, how do you get them on their meds? How do you get them back stabilized? And how do you convince a sick person that they're sick if they I don't do, think yeah. they are? You know, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's an interesting gig. Um, I don't know if I took that to in another direction. No, no, no. This, I, that's why I love this podcast. Cause I don't have a script. I mean, I, I just, I think talking, communicating, being vulnerable. Um, like, like when you, when you spoke at, at my stop there, when you were on our panel, you know, you were just so passionate about how you feel about these things that, you know, that exudes, and it gets other people to understand that, Hey, you know what? I, I can do that too. You know, I mean, if Grant can survive what he went through, I look at my life, I've not been in prison, you know, but I've had things happen to be unfortunate, but why, why can't I do what you're doing? You know, and that, that's how I think we got to get, and not in an imposter syndrome type way where I'm jealous of somebody, but to basically say, you know what, Grant very easily could have really went down a worse road and he didn't, he's here, he's motivational. He's doing all these advocacy things. He's got a nonprofit, he's employing people. Maybe my life isn't that bad either. Maybe I can turn my life around. Yeah. Well, so, and, and, uh, um, to speak, if there's anyone listening right now that like, that wants to advocate, one of the things that, that 
frustrates people is that is um is that it's a lot of work you know oh, once I you know. start getting in the trenches and you start yep. moving alongside and you're gonna you're gonna work with somebody and then they're gonna fail you're, they're gonna start using again or they're just gonna leave and you never see them again and mm -hmm. that's frustrating but what's important to remember is that um and this is anybody any, ask anybody that's ever been addicted to drugs or homeless or what like it wasn't one thing it's never one thing right it's it's a series of things that could have happened 12 years ago i had a guy hug me 11 years ago and i'll never forget that he hugged me said everything's gonna be okay i'll never forget that i had somebody touch my hand when nobody would touch me i had um a one guy told me he's like man you just gotta challenge yourself i'll never forget these things i didn't get right and I walked out of their lives and they might have been frustrated thinking, oh, man, wish that guy would get his shit together, you know, but it's yeah. but those things. So you're doing you're going to do things when you work with people and you're just constantly, constantly trying to carry a nar narrative and sharing like, you know, and it's trying to inspire people and trying to paint different picture, pictures and showing a different perspective, whether or not you succeed right now, you did something. Cause there's uh, again, there's things I, when I wake up every, when my alarm goes off and I want to push snooze, I think about this guy's name was Sean. Think about Sean, him saying, dude, you got to challenge yourself. Yeah. Like, all That's right, awesome. challenge yourself, get up. And then that one guy, and I don't even know the dude's name. I was in a meeting. I, I stumbled into an AA meeting. I was in, on the streets in Vegas, downtown. And I just, um, I had to drink in order to go to these meetings because I, uh, man, I, I want to be you're funny. anxious, you're nervous. And yeah, yeah, I want people to like me. I want to be yeah. funny. I, I want to, you know, and so I would buy a big old thing of gum chewing gum, I would smash a four loco and I would just put about four or five gums in and go into the meetings. And I went into this meeting. And there was a guy on there. And I don't remember what the whole story was. But I remember him saying, if you want to be a good person, be a good citizen, be a good citizen, you know, and I always thought about that. And I never I didn't get clean right then and start being a good citizen then yeah but when i that. when it came around and i and i remember reading something from you know uh, you know uh um i remember reading something from uh God, i can't remember his name is tattooed on my leg uh and it says <laughs> and he told me it'll yeah, come back to you right when this is over yeah anton Chekhov. Okay. anton Chekhov, <laughs> and he had there was a point in his life where he was gonna be where he was homeless and he started to, to steer down the wrong direction. He started stealing and he started, you know, moving towards a life of crime. And he told himself no more. He said, and, and it's quote, he said, no more bowing and apologizing to people, no more blaming and complaining, no more disorderly living or wasting time. The answer to everything is work and love. Mm. And I, I mean, I, I tattooed like it on labor, yeah. love. And, and because it's simple, it's a good formula. And, um, and I know that, and, and so when I transitioned, I started to remember all these things. It helps me when I work with people to know that you're, you're not going to change somebody. Chances of you changing somebody by saying something profound are really, really, really slim. Chances of you changing someone by just getting them into how it's, it's slim, you know, because they might lose it again if they don't know the skills. Right. If we haven't taught them, if we give them the things without teaching them how to keep them. So it's a lot of work. But but you got to remember not to be frustrated. What you're doing right now, you're gonna your podcast. Someone's gonna hear it. Yeah. And you're gonna they're gonna hear something profound you said, and it's not gonna it's not gonna hit them till years from now. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, if it's so, authentic. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're so right because um, I don't know. There's something to say about 
talking about these tough topics, especially mental health right now with, with depression, anxiety, and suicide and all these, these issues that people have, it, the sooner I can relate to somebody's story. Now, I, I don't necessarily can relate to your story because I've never been in prison. I never did drugs. But somebody that you're talking to on my show is probably Grant Denton 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and they want to be you now. They're like, well, shit, I, I want to be like him. And so by you giving back by service, you can change lives because people can relate to your story. Now, someone in my case, buried a child of fentanyl, lost a wife to alcohol, you know, something like that. They could say, well, there's this guy in Iowa. If he can do it, so can I. And I think you and yeah. I are just, you and I are just average dudes that have kind of figured out a way to help ourselves at the same time serve humanity. And I will tell you what, and I say this to everybody I speak at at these, at these presentations, and this is a neat mindset for me. People, you know, you, you've heard the saying, Grant, I'm sure when you do your talks, oh, if you, if you help just one person, if you help just one person, right? Yeah. What happens if you don't help anybody? What happens if there's a group of 20 people and not one of them you helped? Well, you know what? You helped yourself. You helped Grant. So my one person is always Jeff Johnston. That's my default option. So I'm 100% guaranteed that I will have that one person helped every time yeah. I open my mouth. And it may not be that person in the audience. That person's going to be me because I get helped every single time. I do a podcast. I meet someone like you. I do a presentation. And that's my mindset. So I could speak in front of two people. They're going to get the same effort as if I'm speaking in front of 200. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because I get helped. Yeah. I remember uh, when I started the, doing this Rise and Grind program before. This is like right when I came out. And, you know, you expect, you visualize all these people are going to show up. And then one person shows yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, and, but, and I, but I, I don't know where I read that, but exactly what you said, I, yeah. you, you go to work on that one person, the same as if there's a hundred and you have the same amount of energy and you, and, and you, you know, and you're rehearsing, you know, for yeah. the, for the big show, you're, you're just, you got the same energy, you're delivering the same message and you're just, you know, it's just a one guy this time. You I mean, know, dude, but dude, imagine this. I bought an RV. Okay. My own money. I took all this time off this summer my ailing dad, my, 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 uh, pets and stuff. And we drive all the way. I won't name the city because there's a couple advocates there. I really like, but it wasn't their fault, but we drive all the way across country. I don't know what it was. 18 hours in the RV. Now we had one stop prior in South Dakota, but then we, and that was a great stop. And we pull into a Marriott and it's got, you know, the, my name up there. It's got the things ready. I had my camera guy there for our documentary you know, and, uh, we walk into the Marriott and there's the person helping me that was, was supposed to set everything up. A couple of friends that were showed up. It's like four people. So here's this guy that just spent all this money in this RV and it was costing us almost $380 every time to fill up the tank on the, on the RV. You know, and, I, and, I, and I didn't raise a lot of money to send, send off our kickoff did good, but I didn't raise, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I pulled into this Marriott in my RV, 180 degrees, and there's four people in there. You know, there's 50 chairs set up. Four people. But you know what we did? I just didn't do my presentation. I just got a microphone. I talked for like 15 minutes. I pulled up a chair. And as we talked, a few more people tripled. And then I think there was like eight people. But we went around the room like an AA meeting. And we just talked. We shared our stories. We cried. We were vulnerable. 
And you yeah. know, for some odd thing, that's like the one stop that sticks in my mind. And it was the least attended stop we had on the tour yeah. because my attitude, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to sit in a circle and we're going to help each other. I came all that's the way cool, out here. Man. I came all the way out here, man. I'm not going to just sit in the RV and cry. We're riding, man. I like that. I like I ride, ride it till the wheels fall off. Just go. You're going to do yeah. it anyways. Yeah. That's brilliant, well, man. Listen, how can people reach you and uh, your social media contacts and uh, how do people find out more about you? And then that TED talk, uh, when you send it to me, I'm going to make sure it gets posted uh, on my, on the, on our podcast when we post this. Absolutely. Um, they can, uh, um, my email is my name, grant a Denton at Gmail. Um, the, the karma box project is karma box, uh, project, www.karmaboxproject.org. We're working on the website. You know, when you, we grew fast. So when we start, yeah. you just, you people do things for you for free. They donate stuff. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of need to pay for a website, <laughs> <laughs> but, I uh, but it's, yeah, but it's, you know, what you're um, doing, man, you know what you're doing. You're building the boat while you're on the water. Oh, uh, dude. Oh, uh, it's, you know, we, I, I'm, isn't that I'm a never, great way to live though? Oh, that's dude. I ride it as I, I as it comes, and then we then we and you do this, and like, okay, what do we need to do that? And you do this. I don't like, know. Oh, Just start making up shit as we go. <laughs> oh, dude, and I think it's somebody was telling me or asking me. They're like, I you know, when it. you start your nonprofit, did you this and that? And I was like, I didn't ask. No, really, do I just started it and started doing stuff and kind of when people were like, oh, you need this, and then you're like, okay, then I'll get it, you know, and right. then then things kind of come together. It's pretty sloppy and it's kind of reckless but i prefer to roll like that you know well you're living you're living you're living proof that attention deficit can be a beautiful thing oh my um, add works for me for me, sure. too. <laughs> me too yeah and as a matter of fact i think i told you at our stop we don't call the last d i just say attention deficit um yeah i know, yeah. It's, I know it's instinctive to say add but i'm getting now yeah. to say ad because in our bubble at living undeterred we're not allowed to use the word disorder because it ain't. I understand there's a spectrum. There's well, yeah. really high level like you. <laughs> uh, uh, and then there's, you know, people that don't have it at all. And I feel really sorry for them. Um, yeah. And it's like somewhere in between is where most people gravitate to. But listen, brother, I, I could talk with you forever. Um, really appreciate this a lot and uh, really look forward to collaborating with other, other projects. I plan on coming back to Reno on our second tour next summer. Uh, we're yeah. in the midst of getting that. Uh, so we'll be a lot more professional. We'll be bigger. We'll be stronger. We'll have a lot more, uh, more, uh, uh um, advocates in, in our area. So we'll definitely come back to Reno and do another stop. Looking forward to seeing you brother. All right, man. Best of luck with everything. Me, you bet Grant. Keep living on a turn, right. man. Right on brother.